0: Hey, welcome back to the Branding for Abundance podcast where therapists deserve abundance. So I am your host, Dr. TK, clinical psychologist and number one therapist, business coach for therapists. So we are still in our abundance series. If you have not had a chance to listen to at least the the last three to four podcast episodes, you definitely want to go back and listen and or watch those if they have a video on YouTube as well. Uh, But today we're going to be talking about self-care for therapists that requires awareness. And so I want to take a moment to talk to therapists about how we have to practice what we preach in order for us to be well To show up in the best way possible for our clients, we also have to make sure that we are taking care of ourselves, especially working from home. So what I'm going to share with you today is a mixture of two things. It stems from some of my personal and clinical experience while working in my nine to five job And how that trickled into when I left my nine to five job into other work settings in terms of me not being aware of how my self-care was still taking a toll even after I left my nine to five job. So just to give some context, uh, you may have heard a few episodes where I referenced me leaving my nine to five job a little bit earlier than expected because I woke up at four or five o'clock in the morning suffering from a serious Panic attack. Now, before that panic attack had occurred, I was having daily tension headaches that would literally start with the association of me getting dressed to go to work. They would occur while I was driving to work, which at the time was only a 10 to 15 minute drive. There were times that I would have to pull over on the side of the road because I felt nauseous. And then, of course, that turned into the physical act of things coming up and out, if you get me. And of course, I did not like, not necessarily the work environment. I loved the jail. I loved who I worked around in terms of probation officers and also some other therapists. I really loved serving those kids. However, the issue was management and the way things were structured at our job to also make sure that the therapists that were providing the services was taken care of. And so needless to say, my body said, if you don't want to take a break, if you don't want to stop, if you don't want to leave because I'm giving you all of these signs, then I'm going to just give you one of the biggest signs of all. I'm going to creep up in the middle of the night at four or five o'clock in the morning on the day that you have to go to work that wraps up your week. And I'm going to create a panic attack. At least that's how I felt like it happened. And so Uh, I had the panic attack. I ended up in the doctor. They took me off work for seven days. And during that time, I just really looked at what is it that I really want? What is it that I don't like about my current situation? And I realized that I had a choice and I could not operate out of fear. So I chose to take a quantum leap of faith and I bet on me. And so then that led into me having other, you know, part-time contractual jobs in addition to me having my now full-time private practice where I thrived in, but then some other things started to come up that I did not take care of immediately when I left my job in terms of self-care. So now I want to talk to you about a few things as it relates to self-care awareness, okay? So first, let's talk about work environment. So I am a firm believer after experiencing such a horrific thing at a job that I like, uh, that work environment definitely plays a huge role in your self-care. So currently, at the time of this recording, I am in my home office. Uh, when the pandemic in 2020 happened, my office had a vision of being decorated. I even created an entire vision board. And part of my vision board for 2020 was to redo my office because I was still physically at my office at least one day a week. And then I still had you know, some clients seeing me on telehealth at that time. And so I created a vision for what I wanted my office to look like. And when the pandemic happened, I felt like that was the prime time to recreate my space because if I'm going to be here full time and even my contracts had taken a pause in terms of me going into the community, then I decided to go ahead and redo my office. And so we went to Ikea, we purchased, me and my husband, we purchased the Pax uh, system, which was on my Pinterest board. I also started to just stack up small purchases at places like Hobby Lobby and other stores like Target and Walmart, just to create a very pretty, vibrant, energetic space, because I knew that I would be spending all of my time here. So also what you want to take into account is your decor of your office. Does it make you feel good? Also, is it welcoming of people coming into your office space? So when my clients started to see the the slow transition of me adding like even the pack system with maybe some books, and then the next session it was smaller books, uh, amount of books, because I moved them to a smaller bookcase, but I uh, decluttered the boxes in the pack system, if you're watching this on the video, and I started to put in more abundant things. And what I started to notice, which was really interesting, is that in my mindset initially, I wasn't going to put my luxurious items in the back because I was so much in my head where I was focusing on how people were going to perceive me. Were clients, whether it was therapist coaching clients or mental health therapy clients, were they going to look at me of more of a materialistic good person and then only focus on money? And what I started to do was like test it out and have a few books and maybe have a purse and a pair of shoes. And on both sides, therapist and therapy clients, they started to fall in love with my backdrop and they were like, oh my God, you make me want to go to work today and earn money. You make me want to ask for overtime at my job because I want a purse like that. I want my background of my telehealth space to look like that. And then they would add in maybe some therapy books, right? To showcase their expertise. And so I said, okay, well clearly this office space and this decor thing really makes a difference. So maybe I need to actually pay attention to really how I want to decorate what they visually see in the background. So work environment does matter. Another thing you want to think about is, are there signs of a problem? So in terms of awareness of self-care, are you isolating yourself more as a therapist? Now, granted, I am in my home office, but There are breaks throughout the day, so you can choose to stay at your desk or your office space and continue to work there, or you can get up, turn your computer on sleep, lock out any HIPAA-protected information on your computer, and take a break. Go drink your water upstairs. Go actually eat a snack. There have been times where if I know that I don't have a long break, but I still want to go upstairs and hang out with my family or just like talk to my husband in the in-between Or just take a break and go to a different environment. I will actually text him uh, at the beginning of my break um, at the beginning of my session and say, Hey, I'm going to be done at this time. Can you put my little egg bites that I got from Costco in the microwave for 90 seconds? Or can you put me a, a turkey burger on a stove at this time and turn on the oven at 425 and throw me in some fries at this time. So that way when I get up there, it's done already. And therefore I'm no longer isolating myself. Or maybe I'll send a voice message to one of my good friends because that's how we've learned how to communicate better throughout this season because sometimes we really don't have time to get on the phone. Do you have a in and out mentality, meaning you try to go if you got a nine to five or you go to some type of office space that's away from your home? Are you just focused on getting in and out like you don't even want to connect with people? You want to detach from everything and everyone that's going to deter you from doing the work that you came to your job to do and that is a problem because unless you are around a lot a lot of toxic people which I'll talk about at the end because of course I'm going to share with you a real story like what what also happened um post my 9 to 5 job and the impact of not taking care of yourself is that if you have an in and out mentality you're really not actually taking breaks because what you're doing is you're working 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 and even if you take a break but you're not around anybody talking about something else or allowing them to talk you're probably still thinking about your work do you have any somatic symptoms as i mentioned in the beginning of this episode is that I experienced nausea, you know, being nauseated. I experienced tension headaches where they were around for three months. And every time I went to the doctor, they would tell me, I think you're stressed. We can't find anything wrong with you. And in the beginning of me going, I said, I'm not stressed. I love my job because that that's the only thing that I was focused on is that when I actually get there and I'm with those kids and I'm typing up their forms. I like paperwork. You know, I like seeing everything come together. I like seeing everything conceptualized together and make a narrative of even though this kid is in jail, waiting to go to trial or waiting to go back to court or whatever they're waiting on, you know, to go home or whatnot. Nevertheless, every person has a story. And it doesn't condone what they've done to get back into the juvenile system. But I do believe that environment does play a significant role. So what's their story? So ask yourself, do you isolate in your workplace or in your home? Do you have the in and out mentality even in your therapy office? We have receptionists. Do you bypass the receptionist? Say what's up, good morning, good night. And that's the only communication you have with them. Do you experience any somatic symptoms like you're tired, you're fatigued, uh, or it could be the opposite. You feel like you can't stop. You feel like someone have, have put an energizer like battery in your, you know, in your back and then you can't stop. Okay. So those are signs of a problem. And then third, listen to feedback that people are telling you. Listen to when someone or a group of people keeps asking you things like, are you Okay. Is there something wrong? Pay attention to those. Just don't brush them off. So to give you a real life example, I'm going to pull all of this together, work environment, signs of a problem and feedback into a narrative. And let me know, type in the comment box or, you know, follow the podcast or YouTube channel and then leave me your feedback to let me know your biggest takeaway. But I want to know, does any of this story resonate with you? Okay? You can also check out my Instagram at Dr. TK Psych, and then snapshot this episode and then leave me your takeaway there. So I'm going to take you back to when I was working in the juvenile facility. To give you the context of how I was working and my work environment to make this all come together is that when I first got there specifically in the, I'm going to say the juvenile camp, the juvenile camp, our offices were built into our actual dorm. Now our facility was the only facility that that was structured in that way, meaning other facilities had therapist offices away from the dorm, which meant that the boys or girls had to actually walk to their office. And I can see how that can be a pro because the kids are also detaching from their jail environment, from other kids, from the voice of probation, and maybe they're actually able to breathe. Maybe they feel safer to uh communicate their real emotions and be vulnerable but I also believe that it was a pro a plus for our offices to be in the actual dorm because when kids would tell me oh no miss I I wasn't doing that I didn't do that it would be to the point I mean if these kids are with us for three six nine or twelve months we get to know their posture their body language how they walk how they talk their voice uh you know sound if they're sad mad or regular because we're technically in their space for 10 hours of the day, even though they're in school. So we're kind of like their little mini caregivers, right? So one thing that I did is that we did have modern technology. They put modern storage. We had a modern phone at the camp. But what um, me and the person who shared our office space, because we alternated schedules and we were only there on the overlap schedule on Wednesdays, is that we decorated our offices. So we brought like artificial flowers, you know, signs that are motivational words for the kids. I remember having like the feelings chart on the wall right next to where the boys would sit because I worked in the boys facility. So I decorated my office space. I even brought in like a nice rug you know, for the ground, you know, so that they, you know, we can put our feet on there or something like that. Like not barefoot, but you know, put our feet on there. And so we also brought like a night light because sometimes when they cut off the main lights when it's nighttime and we don't get off until seven or eight o'clock at night, we want to still dim the mood so they can get sleepy. They're still kids, but also, you know, be able to see them and talk to them. Okay. So that was my environment in the camp. And then I transitioned after a year and a half there into the halls. Now the halls took me all the way back to like no modern uh, touch. And so our offices were still in the facility in the halls in which we treated the boys. The only difference was in the in the camp, it was like six to eight therapists assigned to a unit that houses up to 120 boys. A typical caseload was like 10 to 15, but we had other duties when they were in school, like attending certain meetings. In the halls, it was one therapist Per unit that houses up to 60 kids, which meant that if we're not present, the on-call therapist of the entire jail, which we took rotations for that. And that became more of like a burnout situation is that we had to really attend to all of our needs of our clients within a four to five day work week, which was a lot. Considering juvenile hall is the catch for all kids, meaning we get 60 percent at the facility I was working at. We would get 60% of the kids in our facility and then my caseload would be from 15 all the way up to like 20 something and we would have to do therapy with some of those kids, right? So nevertheless, we had a very old uh, phone. We did not have any type of window. It was like a fake window. Our office was a jail cell. The the floor was concrete. It was a jail cell. That's the best way I can like describe it, right? Um, It was big enough for a twin bed to fit with like a little walk-in space. So we had a file cabinet that was super old and ugly and silver. You know, I like to decorate. We had a super old school, like what you would see if you go to an escape room, like the prison break room. We had one of those desks where it's like fake wood panel on the top um, you know the old school teacher's desk like in the 1980s and 70s, right? Uh then we have like the old school like to me preschool little blue chair kind of thing for the kids to sit down and then like concrete wall with like tile effect, right? So I'm like this is not conducive to therapy. So what I chose to do in terms of workspace because I started to feel institutionalized. That made me feel like I was in jail while I was at work is that I went to like Bath and Body Work Victoria's Secret. I brought like plugins. I brought um, my iPod deck where I would play music even during their session so that they can talk to me. I brought a, um, I went to Target and because I was serving boys, I bought a, uh, and this was not paid by the County. I just bought it out my pocket. And so I bought a blue fluffy rug and I just told the kids, you know, I will take it home and watch it, wash it like every week. But what I need, you know, if you want to, if they had asked, you know, if I keep my socks on, can I like rub my feet on there? Because they don't, they walk on concrete all day. If they're not walking like in their shoes on the gravel outside or gravel outside or in the unit. And so I said, of course. And you know, I didn't use the rug. You know, I bought me another little rug under my desk, but they had their rug. And so I did things like that to make my work environment more pleasant. So that helped me out while I was at work. Now, where it became a problem in terms of self-awareness is that when I left the agency, I started contracting with um what is it, a nonprofit in South Central Los Angeles. And I was a clinical supervisor for about 16 hours a week, where I would work two days on site or three days on one on site and then one day off. And then, of course, I would do my private practice on the alternative days and/or in the evening. So it worked out very well, never, you know, needless to say. And so what I started to notice, and I'm just gonna tell you what happened, because it kind of combines signs of a problem and feedback, is that when I was working at the juvenile hall, unlike the camp, I actually chose not to talk to the therapist. Um, in the camp, they were very positive. We would talk about family, friends, what we're gonna do on a weekend. We would talk about things outside of work. We would go to lunch together off site. We would schedule holiday parties, all those things. In the juvenile hall, I felt like the environment that I worked in took the mentality of the actual environment itself, if that makes sense. So in the camp, we're more long term. We're building bonds with even the kids, probation officers. You know, these kids have us for like almost a year, you know. So I feel like the staff, we tried, we started to act like that. Then when I was at the halls with kids going in and out with kids not even lasting sometimes a full 24 hours, or some kids were there longer because they were fighting a case, maybe looking at being tried as an adult, but we didn't have that many of those kids. So I started to recognize that when I was eating lunch with the therapist, especially my first week, I typically observe when I'm in a new environment, I noticed that it was very toxic. They were talking about how tired they were. They were talking about them feeling burnt out. And mind you, I wasn't burnt out yet, when I started there, I just started working at the halls because it was closer to my house. The camp was an hour and a half away, which would traffic with traffic was two to three hours each way. And we would work 10 hour shifts. So as you can imagine, that took a toll on my health, right? So in my mood, when I got to work, because I was like tired of traffic. And then I was sleeping when I got home, which meant that I felt like I had no life really. And so the halls would give me more time, but I didn't realize that if I was drained from my job even if it was a eight to nine hour shift and it took me 10 minutes to get home, I still didn't want to do anything. So I still found myself isolated from other people, isolated when I would go to work. At the halls, I did have the in and out mentality where I just literally wanted to go, clock in, do my work. I would lock my door while the kids were in school. I would do all my paperwork. I would take time out to detach, but I would talk to probation or the kids during lunch. I did not talk to other therapists because they were too burnt out for me, you know? And so know who you're working around because the people who are working around you could also increase your somatic symptoms, okay? So what end up happening now that you have some background context as it relates to work environment and signs of a problem is that... When I was working in that in that uh, clinical supervisory role, they placed me in an office in which I was like side by side with the receptionist. So I can see who comes in the door in the back office, like clients coming to see the other therapists. I can see people come up to the window. So mostly I would talk to the young lady who was working at the front desk. Um, but outside of a staff meeting and leaving physically the location to go to lunch because I learned how to detach from work and get some sunlight, because I also found out I was vitamin D deficient by working in a jail system for like, what, five years, is that one caseworker? she came up to me and she stood in my, you know, my, uh, what is it, the doorway. And she said, hey, Dr. Uh, Jackson, how's your day going? And I'm like, okay, you know, it's going good. How's yours? It was in the morning. And she was like, you know, you good? And I'm like, yeah. You know, I had this look on my face and I was like, do I not look good? And she was like, no, you look you look fine. I was just asking. So she left. She did that about two times. Then on the third time, I said, hey, I noticed that you've asked me that a few times. Like, do I not look okay? Because sometimes you think you look okay, but maybe you look tired or something, you know? So she said, you know, you look great, but I just noticed that you always are in your office. And I was just wondering why. Like, we never see you unless you're literally leaving for the day. You're leaving and coming back from lunch. Or you're going into a staff meeting or clinical supervision. Outside of that, you don't even come like talk to us or say hi. You just don't leave your office. And that's when the light bulb went off. I'm like, oh my God. I literally like it went off quick where I realized I'm institutionalized. Holy crap. But did I do anything about it? Not really. It was just bringing it to my awareness. But what it did do is it started to spin my wheels in terms of why am I institutionalized? So then I started backtracking and saying, okay, you know, even in the camp and even though I talked to my coworkers, for the most part, we were in a jail for 10 hours a day. Then driving to and from work, even though I had a carpool buddy, we were in a small environment like a jail in a car for two or three hours to and from work. Then when I worked in the juvenile hall, I was also in an institution for eight to nine hours all day by myself. Then I didn't tell you about this other position that I went back and forth between juvenile hall to the community, then back to juvenile hall. Then that's when I left the county is when I was working in the community, I was by myself. Again, across all these environments, I loved what I did as work, as a psychologist. So that kind of overshadowed me paying attention. I really hope that you're listening to what I am really telling you. Sometimes because you love what you do, and you're smiling because you're in session or you're around clients that you love to work with, it's really overshadowing how you feel when you're not in session, how you feel when you go home, how you feel when you're on your way to work even though that changes when you actually get to work. And truth be told, clients, the kids at the juvenile camp started telling me this six months in when I would get there from my two-hour drive. They'll be like, oh, what's up, Dr. J? What's up, Dr. Jackson? They're on the basketball court, you know, before they go to school, whatever. And they'd be like, yo, you good? Did you get enough sleep? And I'm me and my carpool buddy, we were like, why? And, and one kid was like, you look tired, miss. You look tired. Like you should have went to sleep earlier. You know, if you knew you had a long day at work. And that was, and that again, woke me up to what's like, wow, it's, it's, it's showing." even when I don't want it to show, but that's how I really feel. So another thing that happened, and this will be the last thing that really blew up my mind to realize I need to take care of myself. I need to take a break from work. I need to take more vacations away from work. Okay. So after that case manager told me about me not leaving my office, unfortunately, the HR person at the site passed away suddenly like in her sleep at her home. So her office was in the back. Like if you walk down a hallway, make a left and make a right. That's how big the space was because they had a lot of individual offices. So her space was like all the way in the back and she sat across from the other clinical supervisor, pretty much my other half. And so she passed away. Her office clearly was empty for months, but over time they knew that they would also need to hire another supervisor that can supervise the social worker interns because me and the other clinical supervisor were both psychologists and we covered, like I was pretty much the quality assurance person and supervisor. And then he was the supervisor, but over also psychological testing and group supervision around testing so we covered that side so when they hired another lcsw somebody would have to take that back office so the clinical director came to me and she said hey we did hire the other supervisor um one office you know that such and such used to occupy is vacant. Um, you know, I completely understand if you want to stay in your physical space, but I know that that space is different. You are also in the back, so you don't have to like be in the commotion of the front office if that's what you choose. Um, but if you want your own space and it's a little bit bigger and you have more window space and you'll be back there with the other clinical supervisor, I wanted to offer you the space first without a shadow of a doubt. Which office do you think I chose? The back office. And when I got back there, again, I didn't put two and two together. I just was seeing it as, oh, I got more office space. I can see the mall. I can see the freeway. You know, I get to have my own space. I get to decorate more stuff because there's more like counter room. The desk is bigger. That's all I was focusing on, y'all, is decoration. After one day and the clinical supervisor, the other one, he wasn't there all the time, I realized as I kept my door open because I closed it and it felt weird. And so I opened it and I can hear a pin drop because I was so far back. I couldn't even hear what was happening in the front. So I would only get the commotion if there was a staff meeting, which was like up the hallway a little bit, or if that other supervisor was there. But when he was there, he didn't work as many hours as me. So he would literally be in and out whilst, you know, seeing students and then leave. So Why am I sharing this with you? You have to be aware as a mental health provider, caring for others to take care of yourself. And the only way change is going to happen is if you are aware of it, if you bring it up to conscious level, if you're no longer in pre-contemplation, but you're in the contemplation stage. And remember, the only reason I recognized the history of how I became more isolated and burnt out and having these somatic symptoms is because my clients were bringing it up. I had a panic attack, but that wasn't enough. A case manager brought it to my attention. And then I finally put everything together once I was sitting in that back office by myself. So to clean things up, I thought it would be best for me to go talk Two, and I'm not saying that you have to do this, but I felt like I needed to do this to start correcting my behavior. So I first went and talked to the case manager and I said, you know what, I thank you. And I talked, I said, can you come to the office? So I actually talked to her about what I just told you in a shorter version in terms of my work history. And she said, I knew you worked at the jail, I know people that work at the jail, but I didn't know it was like that. Your office was a jail cell. You know, like that really put a lot of things into perspective for people who've heard this story Um, because it made my mindset institutionalized. But it also helped me understand to a degree the mindset of when people transition from being incarcerated, even if it's for one day to going back into their community, it is a big deal. So if you work in institutions, hospitals, schools, jails, places that you're in an office for a long period of time, be mindful of how that will take or how it could take a toll on your mental health when you leave, okay? I also took it another step. I went to the staff meeting and I said, I'd like to make an announcement. As a clinical supervisor, I'm supposed to lead by example. Take 100% responsibility, you all of listening to this episode, all right? So I took 100% responsibility and I apologized to the whole team. And I said, I've already talked to the caseworker. I told her I was going to bring this up, but I just want to also use this as a learning tool to share with all of you That you are constantly giving to other people, even if you do work at the front desk. You're constantly interacting with our clients that show up with their mental health problems. Just because someone's the receptionist doesn't minimize what they do or don't see. So take care of yourself. Leave for lunch. Leave on the mark and come back in 30 minutes. You know, Still do your whole time out, time in thing, clock in, clock out. But try to get out. Try to go eat lunch outside. If you brought your lunch with someone else, just go to the lunchroom. So again, as therapists, or even if you're not a therapist, I really hope that what you heard from me today is that it's really important to take care of yourself, especially if you are serving other people at any capacity. So I really hope that you enjoyed this podcast episode. Make sure that you leave your comments and follow the podcast episode, whether you be on iTunes iTunes other uh, podcast platforms, and of course, on YouTube, comment below letting me know your biggest takeaway. We are going to continue this abundance series. And what is going to happen in this abundance series is that I'm also filtering in some podcast episodes from mental health therapists, because I do believe that that taps into the abundance mindset, because they talk about destigmatizing mental health and how people can still go seek mental health providers. Okay. Especially around areas like burnout, self-care and enhancing your awareness. So I will see you in the next episode. Love you. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast episode today. I am super excited to see your growth in your business, career, money, and relationships. Be sure to check me out on Instagram at Dr. TK Psych, where you can find daily inspiration and tips to live your abundant lifestyle.